Welcome everyone to the Stadium Journey podcast. It is great to be here on this special date and time to welcome today's special guest. Stadium Journey is the worldwide leader in information and recommendations for the sports traveler. You can check out our website at stadiumjourney.com for thousands of reviews in thousands of venues in multiple leagues and countries. And you are tuned in to the Stadium Journey podcast, and we record usually twice a month, normally on Tuesdays. And you can be viewed, and that can be viewed live on Dan Law TV or on the Stadium Journey YouTube channel. The audio versions can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you would find your fine podcast. The back catalog for all of our past episodes can also be found at HIACTalkRadio.com. And I am flying solo here today almost. It's just me and Dan because our normal host, Paul Baker, he is out at UMass Dartmouth today doing some hockey PAing. You could follow him at PuckVanRI. Mark Viquez is schooling this evening, and you can find him at Ballpark Hunter. But our producer is here and all-around happy guy with everything Philly coming up big right now. Dan Colachico is here, and you can follow him at DanLaw83. And I am your pinch hit host, Dave Cotney. You can follow me at Profan9. I, I just and, want to point out. I just want to point out before you introduce our, our wonderful guest that Mark doesn't actually have schooling. He's a coward. Like he dropped ten games, like the Mets would, and he didn't want me to uh, uh, to. Um, uh, uh, heckle him. Uh, oh, okay. I want, on, I want that on record. Anyway, on yeah. record. Okay, it's on record. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome our special guest today. I have a, a snippet of her resume because if we read the whole thing, it would take like the entire show. So she is the CEO and COO of the Rochester Red Wings, which she has been since 2010. She's worked for the Red Red Wings for her whole life. Uh, I don't want to say it's a family business, but it it kind of feels like a family business. Uh, she is a member of the Red Wings Hall of Fame as of 2007. She was the Rawlings Baseball Woman of the Year of 1994 and the Minor League Baseball Executive of the Year 2008. I think I got that all right. It is my pleasure to welcome Naomi Silver to join us today. Thank you so much, Dave. Dan, thanks a lot for having me. Did I did I miss anything there? I probably did, but close enough. After close that, it up? it's just too boring after that. So you did perfectly. Well, it's I gotta be honest, when you start doing the research and you start looking and it's just one thing after another after another it's like wow 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 so <laughs> you've you've had a, a a really impressive career thus far thus far so um Naomi reached out to me after I had written the the most recent review of the Rochester Red Wings of my Ro Rochester Red Wings um, visit. Uh, we've done a, a Rochester Red Wings obstructed views with Paul. Um, I, I, all the guys know it's one of my favorite spots to go uh, in baseball anywhere, especially in minor league baseball. And uh, that connection has has 
given us the opportunity to talk with Naomi today about the Red Wings, uh, let's say past, present, and future. So let's let's start with let's start with the present. Um, what do you feel that the Red Wings, as an organization, uh, as a sporting franchise, what do you feel that they mean to this city of Rochester? You know, like like most um, like most teams in any city, um, it it brings people together. It's just you know something that people have in common. It's your you know it's your team. It's your home team. You can get excited and get behind it, and I think that means a lot to people. You know, and Rochester is no different. We uh, we have really great fans, devoted fans, and. Whether or not you're a fan, you kind of have an appreciation for what a team means to your community in terms of, you know, the the outreach. Um, you may not come to the ballpark, but maybe you've heard of us because we've donated something to an organization that you're interested in. Or maybe you have your nephew works for us six months of the year during the season. And, you know, those kind of things are, are important. We're sort of embedded uh, I think all of us are really embedded in, in the community. Um, and I, I do think people appreciate that. So, you know, it, it's, it's what makes us tick, you know, it's, it's the, what we feed off of to try and, you know, do our best to attract fans, make them feel like, um, like we're doing good in the community. And and I think that's, that's almost the heartbeat of, of minor league baseball in and of itself, because, you know, you as, as managers of a minor league team, uh, there's very little that you can do with, with who's on the field. And as a less fan than, of a minor league baseball team, you're, you're, you're not stuck to anybody for a long time. It's, right. you know, they're, they're in, and maybe they they move up and maybe they move out, um, but nobody seems to be there very long. So it has to be more than just the 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 players on the field and what the stats sheet say and what the standings say at the end of the year. You're so right. You know, oftentimes, most often, uh, the players that are doing the best maybe the players that you have for the least amount of time. So we really have to rely on uh, on the whole entertainment package, not just, you know, focusing in on a player who may only be with us, you know, a month or six weeks. Um, so it's, it's very important to us to keep our, um, you know, to keep things fresh, current, understand what, what people want and kind of, are able to adjust to what people want. Uh, That's what brings people into the ballpark. It's great to see a win, um, but in the minor leagues and and often in the big leagues, you can hardly keep track of the players. You know, it's not like the old days when when a player was with a team for his career or half of his career. Now you really have to be able to market yourself on, on the bigger picture. Uh, which is, you know, in minor in the minor leagues, that's really what it's all about for us. 
Yeah, I find that it that in my travels, you know, there's there's very few times that you find like a minor league player who is, you know, honored to the point of a a, a number retirement. And I mean, there are a few instances. One that I find kind of interesting because it's a little bit different is Jeff Manto, who essentially was honored for longevity, whereas you know others maybe it's like. Um, you know, the, the, the cultural factor, uh, where, you know, they, they were one of the first African-Americans to play in the league or something like that. But, you know, Jeff Manto being fairly recent, um, and, and having that longevity, it's, it's, it's almost unheard of. It's unusual, you know, way back when I, back in the day, um, we not only a minor league team uh not only was affiliated with a big league club that that provided most of the players but we could also hire and pay for players ourselves so if someone was particularly talented you know like 4a kind of talent what they call triple a players that are just better but not not enough to go to the big leagues those guys if they happen to be you know um good with the fans we would actually hire them um but the big leagues you know did away with that and rightly so they wanted they wanted us to play the guys that they're trying to get to the big leagues not the guys that may have just been the the fan favorite so so the game has changed over the years in that way but uh yeah when when a guy has been around for a number of years uh they can really they can really make a difference in the community. You know, people begin to really uh, relate to him. So let's let's kind of stick with this um, this community theme that we're on. And, and in researching my my first review of the Red Wings, one of the the and it's been, to me it's one of the great stories in in baseball, let alone minor league baseball is the story of of how the Red Wings really um, galvanized their presence in Rochester. And that is with the 72-day miracle that happened in 1957. Now, you can can test me on this. Let's see if I've got it. So in in, in, uh, before 1957, the... Come on. The affiliate of the Red Wings was the St. Louis Cardinals, or yeah. like the parent, excuse me, parent. And they had decided that they were not going to continue that um, situation, and Rochester was going to lose the team. And uh, Maury Silver decided, who was your father, decided that that was not acceptable and that baseball needed to stay in Rochester. And he, in 72 days, uh, ran, is it fair to call it a stock drive? Yes, um, exactly. To raise enough money to keep the team in Rochester. Have yeah. I, am I good there? You got it. That's awesome. exactly what happened. Uh, are those, are the remnants of that, you know, almost community ownership, does that still permeate in the organization today? Well, I think that 
those people who bought shares now likely have passed them along most often to their kids and grandkids and so on. Uh, rarely does a share of stock get sold to, you know, someone else, but if it is, then it's probably a neighbor. Uh, and those people who own those shares are very proud of them um, and proud to be a shareholder. And honestly, you know, I, I hear from shareholders all the time, you know, I have a share of stock and, and it, it does give a closeness um, from that, that fan to the ball club. But it doesn't, it doesn't take a shareholder. You could be a seasoned seat holder and, and feel that kind of commitment as well. So as much as, as, uh, as we appreciate the shareholders, and let's face it, we would not, as you said, Dave, we would not have baseball in Rochester if we had not had the community rally to keep the team. Um, there was no way that the, the Cardinals had other AAA teams that were much more successful in drawing and making a little money for them. They were losing money in Rochester. And it was, you know, it was a time when big league clubs were whittling down the number of ball clubs that they had. So, so, uh, you know, being able to buy the franchise was, it was, um, it was a miracle. It was really something special. And, uh, you know, it has allowed us to be the longest continuously operating ball club in the minor leagues. So that's that is pretty special. And I think people take a great pride in that fact in itself. Uh, we have a question from the audience. Um, oh, now, if you can't answer this. OK, uh, she completely understands. Uh, this question is from Ash. Uh, serious question. Uh, well, she has a serious question and then a not so serious question. Just a side <laughs> Okay. So we're going to do the serious question first. Um, how much financial support does the parent ball club give to a, uh, to your team? Uh, and for those who don't know right now, I believe it is the Nationals. It is the Washington Nationals, right? They pay all of the on-field personnel, so that is players. Managers, coaches, trainers, nutritionists—you know, ev wow. everyone that is part of the team is paid for by the big league, a uh, uh, big league parent club, and that is a standard contract. It is that way across all minor leagues. Has that? Is that? Uh, sorry, I, I'll get to your. Goofy question in a second. That's okay. It's a it's a goofy question. Though that's okay. But I, but I do want to follow up on that. Um. So, how has that changed since? Uh, I I don't know what you guys call it on the inside. On the outside, we call it the the great purge, the minor league purge that we're yeah. just fresh coming off of. So, how is that? Um, that structure and 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 those finances. How has that changed? Those finances really haven't changed. Um, we have been operating that way for uh, quite a long time. I'm going to say it was, it's been the last 40 years that we have not had any uh, payroll responsibility. And then going, going back to what I said earlier, that they didn't want us to, to um, 
pay the players because they didn't want us to have any say in really who was on the field. And, you know, if I were paying 20% of a guy's salary and he didn't get into a game for a month, I'd be pretty upset about that. And they didn't want to deal with that kind of thing. It made sense. Uh, so they took over that, that piece of it. And back then, you know, we, we, in negotiating our, our agreement with Major League Baseball, you know, it, it, there became a split of, you know, who would buy, uh, who would pay for uniforms, balls, bats, and, and, you know, tried to come up with something equitable that the minor league teams could afford and that the big league teams felt like, you know, there was enough of a buy-in on our end that they could, uh, that they would feel like, you know, we were par- participating. Now, do you now, want to ask your, your goofy question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the same same person had to ask this. She um, she asked it while right at the intro, and I was like, I'm not asking that now. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, but since it's since it's my turn, I'm going to take this opportunity. Uh, Ash would like to know the waves behind you. Is it backlit, and do they move? That is so funny. <laughs> um, it is just a. Um, it's like pieces of drywall that have this design that were pieced together and there's a light that runs across the top that kind of washes down the wall how about that Uh, thank you thank you now she'll leave me alone now she'll leave me alone because thanks Thanks for noticing my decor Uh, i know ash appreciates this um uh uh, interview which asks which is going to lead into my personal question um, being, she's a video gamer. Uh, she's in real estate. She's a very smart woman, and she gets a lot of flack on the internet from uh, males. Um, what was it like growing up with your dad already in the business and moving up through the ranks, being a woman in a perceived mostly male-dominated field? Mostly. All, <laughs> all oh, <laughs> male-dominated. I was trying to be oh, polite, but yeah, you know, it's males I go, everywhere. I go into a room of 120 owners, and 119 of them are men. So that's, uh, yeah, it's pretty dominated. Okay, I guess like domination. But, yeah. but that's the way it always has been. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's not new. So you know, I have a, a different kind of background maybe then uh, maybe you're aware of Dave you've done your homework so maybe you know more my I was 15 when my dad passed away and my mom really stepped into the role of chairman of the board of the ball club she the, the ball club after the 72 day miracle um, my dad took over he be, he was a volunteer but he took over that ball club and he ran it like one of his businesses and they were very successful but the ball club failed when he left and he came back in and righted it left and it failed he came back in (laughs) and for a third time uh he wasn't around Uh, my mom was afraid that everything that he had worked for was going to disappear so she got involved with the ball club and then during that time, so I was 15 at that time. When I was 23, I married a ball player. Go figure. And yeah. we traveled in baseball for the next 10 years. And, you know, sort of through osmosis, I guess, you know, I saw every kind of operation you could imagine. Minor league, big league, Latin American. 
and you, you learn a lot about the game, whether or not you're not not the not even the game, uh, the operation of a ball club, whether it's good or bad, what makes it good, what makes it bad, what turns fans on and what doesn't. And that's kind of that's kind of where I got it. So long before. So backing up, I guess, a little bit before I came back to Rochester when I was more than 30 um, and started working at the ballpark, I knew a lot of ball club operators through all of this experience. And they accepted me as, uh, as a person who was going to get involved. So I didn't, I didn't have an uphill battle, you know, at least not in the baseball realm. I really didn't. They, they were, they've been pretty, decent to me all along and I think that was out of respect for my father my mother um I don't know it's you know it's a boys club but not to the extent of it being exclusionary is that the word I want that's great uh Ash has a not a follow-up but just a comment I will say I'm a Red Wing fan now let's go fan of any woman-led sports team women belong in sports that is awesome. My son has that sweatshirt. Women belong in sports. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. I did have that on my list of questions. Well, maybe not exactly that, but going in that direction. So Yeah, well, you know what, Dave? I, I didn't Dave, that's all right. I wanted to I stole it from you, so you cross it out. Ha. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um actually I do I would like to to go back to the purge. Uh we we ran a few a few podcasts when the when the whole idea of the purge came around, and one of the things we did is we kind of sat around and said, well, I think this is going to happen, I think that's going to happen, you know, I think this is going to happen, that's going to happen. It, really, before any of the the names and faces and affiliates and all that kind of stuff were were bantied about, and um, at the time, the Red Wings were affiliated with the Minnesota Twins, and. Uh, I don't want to, we didn't have inside information, but we, I think we were pretty confident that the affiliation of the twins was going to go to St. Paul. And one, one of the things I said was I'm worried about what's going to happen to the Red Wings because I saw a lot of affiliations around that were not going to be broken. Like the Yankees was not going to be broken. The Blue Jays and the, and the, the Bison's, was pretty solid. The the Clippers and and Cleveland were solid. Uh, Baltimore and Norfolk were solid. And I I struggled to see where Rochester was going to fit into the grand scheme of things. What was that period of time like in the organization? Um, I guess from when it was coming down that there were going to be these big changes to the point where congratulations you're part of the inner circle and you are now with the Washington Nationals well you have your your thinking was uh was correct you know a little worried but the Nationals had their triple-a team out west and we knew that they wanted to come east and you described those affiliations, AAA to the big leagues perfectly. And in doing so, you, you had to, listening to it, you recognize those were geographically aligned, right? 
Buffalo and Toronto and Columbus and Cleveland and all of those that you mentioned. So where would be a, a logical place, a AAA city for the Nationals to go? And we hope that it would be Rochester. And in fact, you know, it was, um, it was, you know, it was a worrisome time, but we had a few people that were were pulling for us that were influential and um i you know we have a decent reputation as as ball club operators in rochester uh they were they were um they were great and you know it just it it fit pretty well you know we had fans that had we had we 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 raised Minnesota Twins fans, you know, we were with them for quite a, a long time. But when we first became affiliated, it was, uh, let's see, the Twin Cities, where are those? You know, people hadn't been to the Twin Cities. They they just weren't aware. But the Washington Nationals had a certain uh, had a certain flair to it, you know, and people are familiar with Washington who hasn't been to Washington, you know, on their eighth grade trip or something. So, Me. uh Okay. <laughs> we don't go to Washington for our eighth grade trip. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Not you Canadians. No. Um, no. but it absolutely was, uh, it, it felt right from the beginning and, you know, and we're, it's worked out pretty well for us. Have you noticed any, any kind of changes, um, in the business with a change in affiliation? Um, no, honestly, I think that the change in affiliation people, you know, Washington resonates with people a little bit. Um, we have more fans that, that, uh, now we'll go to a ball game in Washington and vice versa, you know, Washington, Washington folks that, that come to the area, they want to see the AAA team. We hear that a lot more than we did certainly with Minnesota, but the business model hasn't, hasn't changed at all really yeah that the the uh the AAA uh model is so much different than than all of the other levels where i mean we noticed that that geography to the parent club was going to be paramount as opposed to geography within uh where you know you've got your your southern league which needs to be all close so they can get to one another whereas you know the major leagues they want uh, and and being a, a a blue jays fan i see this all the time um you know they want to be close to their affiliate so they can get that pitcher down uh, uh, because he you know he's gone too long and they need somebody up for tomorrow and they bring him up in, in 3 hours or or whatever and they need to have that quick turnaround which is totally different from any other level that is absolutely right and it happens every day. There are player moves every single day, AAA to the big leagues and back. So it's, yeah, it, being convenient is is paramount. Um, with, that, with that up and down, how impactful is a rehab assignment in Rochester? So if you get like a a major leaguer come down for a three game spell or whatever, 
does that have a big impact or is it just another day? It, honestly, it depends on who it is. You know, when it's Steven Strasberg, it's a big deal. You know, a, a lesser recognizable name, not as important to us. And it works that way with the visiting team as well. You know, we'll have a a visiting big leaguer uh, doing a rehab, and that can draw, you know, just as well. You know, if it's a New York Yankees player traveling with Scranton, they come to Rochester, it is a big deal for us. So, uh, you know, and social media helps us get that word out real quickly, you know, in in days gone by. People might not have even realized it unless they were at the game and, oh, bonus. Uh, but now, you know, people know about it, they hear about it, and, and it's it can be impactful for sure. So one of the – now, again, it's correct me if I'm wrong, if I got my timeline wrong here. Uh, you were um, closely involved with the move to the new stadium. Is that – accurate yeah and, and uh, i'm not sure i don't know the politics involved of of building the stadium um because it is a public stadium is it a publicly owned stadium if i if i've got that right it's the county here owns the stadium they're our landlord okay so how what kind of challenges were there um from involved in i don't know if you were involved in the design at all um of it's almost painful this is going to be painful for me to say i've never said it before for innovative field i've never said that before so for those listening rochester red wings now play at innovative field which was until i don't know maybe a month ago it was frontier field and for my duration a week ago, of, Dave, a week ago a week ago okay and now i feel really good that we're, we're up <laughs> on that one so what what kind of what kind of challenges what was that what was that like You know getting a new stadium built and ours is now 26 years old getting a new stadium built is is it's a feat um because it it involves public money and you know and politicians so it nothing nothing ever happens easily you know there are those who are going to be for it and those who are going to be against it and you hope that finally they're, they they can come to terms with one another and and decide that it's really the best for the community. But you know you you I, I would try to prove you know what it would mean to the economy, to employment, you know just so many things. And you know what do you do if you don't have a stadium that you can play in and draw fans? And you know we were at that time we were playing in a stadium that was seventy years old, so. It, it was definitely time. So um, moving into the new stadium and creating a lease that we thought would be was equitable for the county uh, and for us, it, it took some work. It took uh, it took a few years for it to happen. And and some cities will work on it for years and it doesn't happen. Uh, and there, uh, you know, there's there are teams in our in our own league that have you know, fallen victim to playing in a field that that uh, that the city fathers are not re- willing to replace, and they lose their team. Uh, it's particularly uh, 
um, an issue now because Major League Baseball requires certain things in a stadium, um, and none of us are really um, up to standard when it comes to players' facilities, which is what Major League Baseball is most concerned with. So, so it's um, you know it's something that each one of us that has a baseball team is having to work with the city fathers, the county, the state. Uh, that we live in and and try and get money to upgrade our facilities. And the upgrade of facilities, if I can go off on this tangent, is is logical. You know, when our stadium was built 25 years ago, we had 24 guys on our roster. We have 35 guys that the team travels with now. We have we had three coaches. We have seven now. You know. Everything has changed. Nutrition is a big deal now. You know, 25 years ago, guys were still big drinkers and, you know, carousers, sort of. Today, it's just a different ball game. These are guys that are careful about what they eat. They're careful about, you know, drinking. They are family men. It's just a different game. And the the big league team wants to... I guess I'll say nurture that kind of a human being, you know, that they don't want the the guys that are going to get in trouble and give them a black eye, you know? So we get it. It's time for these changes to occur. So, so that's, you know, that's been, we, we live in a place right now where our, um, our county executive here is all about it. The governor has been very good to us and, and we can make the changes that are necessary, not only for the players, but for the fans as well. Yeah, we had, uh, we had a, a, an author on our podcast once who wrote a book. It was called Clubby and it was about him as a, a clubhouse attendant. And, uh, it was shocking. Like, you know, these guys would pay a couple bucks, you know, they were dues, clubhouse dues to have their laundry done and to, to get like bologna sandwiches after. And, and, you know, you think about the major leagues and it, like, it just seemed so logical that, that they would have to take this step. Like, wait a second, we're investing all of this money. You, you know, not by the time you get to triple a, it's like, you're not just investing in, in the triple a team, but the double a team and the three single A teams and the rookie league team, plus the scouting. And, you know, you put all this money into this guy and he's coming up and he's going to hit the minor leagues and he's got to live on bologna sandwiches after like that makes no sense. Right. So it, I mean, that part was just shocking to <laughs> to me to right. hear. The game is, has changed. The game is changing for sure. And, you know, really to the benefit of of. uh the guys in it, the guys that are playing it. It's a tough life, you know, even when things are all going well in the minor leagues, it's a tough life. You're moving around, you you, you may have a wife and a kid and uh, it's a challenge. So, you know, trying to make life as stable for them as possible when they're on the road or and when they're at home playing, it's, uh, it's a good thing. What kind of, um, what kind of facility upgrades are either done or needed as a result of of these changes uh, in Rochester. Ash will like this. Um, We are going to have a female locker room. 
And that is something that's being required. There are more women in the game. There aren't a lot of coaches, although there are some, but they are in the game. There are trainers, you know, there are nutritionists. Um, and these women need a place to be. So that is something that we're all taking care of. We all have to uh, have to provide. Uh, we're a little landlocked often in our stadiums. So it's 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 caused us to need to really rethink how the layouts of our buildings and so on. Um, things like, you know, a place where the guys can sit down and actually eat their meal, you know, so they don't have to sit in their locker. Good idea, huh? <laughs> um, all, you know, all kinds of things like that. You know, more lockers, more, many more lockers, um, better conditions for the coaches, you know, instead of being, you know, tightly quartered, giving them a little more space. They need desks. They do a lot of work. Video rooms, um, you know, these things that have, you know, the technology has brought to us. And we've had a video room for quite a number of years, um, but that was at the expense of taking it out of somebody else's office. So, so those are the kind of things that are are important. Yeah, it, it it's it's funny. Like as as fans, we we read, oh well, you know, this stadium needs X amount of dollars and upgrades, and you know, whatever's going to happen. None of those things are things that that I'm ever going to see. Unless I get like a personal invitation to tour the clubhouse, but um, you know, uh, Joe, average fan who walks through the gates and goes and and buys some food and sits down and watch the game, they're never going to see any of that stuff. So, I mean, it's great to hear because I I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, you know, you never most fans don't know what's under what's under the seats. They don't they don't see what it's like. Right. You know, you think, oh well, you're a professional athlete, it must be beautiful, right? But, you know, when you do a, a major league tour or a, an NFL stadium tour and you get to see that stuff, you're like, wow. But, you know, you don't really know what happens in those right. minor league facilities. Right. That's absolutely true. And in our particular case, um, we all, we have a fan um, improvement project going on as well. So, uh, so, you know. So it's not all about the players. So we can we can also, you know, give some upgrades to our to our fans. And again, you know, 26 years into a stadium, there are upgrades that are needed. You know, stadiums are being built a little differently. We want to keep up with Joneses. Uh, let's go back to innovative field. That just doesn't feel right. <laughs> used to it though. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Oh, I know. Uh, what What are your What are your favorite features of of the stadium? Wow, that is that is a really great great question. Um, it, you know, it's home. So the features that I, I that I like are uh, are I guess all of them. I, I love our concessions. You know, it's um, I think we, you know, we had a good hand in designing the facility, whether we were very lucky that way. Not every team does have that. So we built concession stands from one end of the stadium to the other, and we run them all ourselves. And, you know, when, th when something doesn't go right, we can, we adapt quickly to try and, and uh and, and fix it 
if uh, if we're not if we're not moving it along fast enough, you know, let's let's reconfigure the line. If uh, if the hot dogs coming off that grill are not coming off the way we want them, we will do something about it. So just the fact that we run our own concessions is a um, extremely important to me. And that's probably the thing that I, I appreciate most of all. Um, we can we can do what what our, what our fans want. We provide. And, you know, we'll, you'll come in every time you come in, there's probably a, at least one concession stand that's moved on to another theme and just trying to keep up with um, with what's current and, you know, what's popular, um, you know, we had a sushi stand at one time that was the hot thing 10 years ago or so and tacos are are the hot thing now or um it's it's all over the place but it is it's that is a fun business to be in i i love the concession scene there i think it's fantastic um thank you in in combination with like the the number of fans that are there what I love about it is everything's different. Like you're not, it's not like four of the exact same menu in four different spots. You know, you go to, you go to this end for, you know, your ice cream or whatever. And you go to, you know, your, your Rochester, you know, you get your garbage plates over here and you get, you know, something different over there. It's one of the few minor league parks where if I'm going, I'll get on the website and I'll map it out and I'll go, okay, what do I want to do this time? Because the concession map, which often is out of date in many other spots is, is like really a go-to spot on the, on the Red Wings website. And I absolutely love it. And I was like, yes. what do I want to do this time? <laughs> and, and oh, that is so nice. Part of the problem is, is that you get something good and you're like, oh, do I really want to steer clear of what I know for something else? <laughs> Yeah, did you have did you have some? Uh, Ash had another question, and she's going for the juicy stuff tonight. Uh, was there ever a danger of being dropped uh, a letter? I will put it that way. Ah, uh, dropped a letter. You know, it, it's certainly it's certainly possible. You know that that can happen. It is in the hands of the of the major league teams. They are affiliated in the city they want to be affiliated. So it can always happen. And honestly, from my perspective, that's why we try to run the best operation we can. We want them to, you know, we don't want them to say, oh, God, we got to go back to Rochester. We want them to say, oh, (laughs) thank God we're going back to Rochester and we don't have to worry about that. You know, that's important to us. So we try to, to, you know, keep it, keep it good, keep it keep it good for make the it, make it hard for them. right we'll make it as hard as we can for them yeah. you know make it good for the players let the you know make sure that the players are taken care of and they feel when they come out to the ballpark that we care about them and we do you know it's not doesn't have to be uh we don't have to to conjure that up that is that is true we have a deep appreciation for for the players and honestly, you know, the big league people in Washington have been amazing to work with. So it's, that's been awesome. Not everybody is that lucky. 
I, I just I keep speaking of the Nationals. I, I I'll try to keep this as a keep uh, it clean. I will keep it clean. Uh, <laughs> speaking of clean, um, old Fitzner Stadium. <laughs> Whenever I, I just hearing all this, and as as we're doing this, um, just reading about the stadium and and the new place versus the old place, and looking at all this history on the Red Wings, and just not not many. It, can't, I, I had not a bad word has been uttered, but I just keep when you, when you mentioned making it good for the players and the staff, and it just I've been to you know come from. Philly, South Jersey. I've seen some bad ven. I've seen some bad venues and some bad um, <laughs> uh, f- facilities, and I just keep thinking about Fitzgerald Stadium and the players, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh man, I, I just, I, I think, thank God people like you exist in sport, in minor league sports. That's that's a, that's all I. That is, that's my point. Is my my point is that because, whew. Thank you. That's so nice. So Dave, I'm gonna. I'm going to chime in with something different. You know, during uh, during the COVID year when we played no games, 2020, um, you probably know that we were the um, we hosted the Toronto Blue Jays taxi squad. Right. Right. The big league team was uh, in Buffalo, and we had the we had the what? Not, I wouldn't call it the official AAA team. It was all of their prospects, let's say, that they just didn't want to have give a year off to because they needed the development. And uh, that is one tremendous organization. We They were great to us. We They were great to us. And uh, quality people. That's, that's good. Actually, it's, it's interesting because I don't feel it's always been that way. I, I mean, I feel that the Jays were really strong in the beginning in the seventies and right through the nineties. And then when they were, when Labatt's was bought by Interbrew and, you know, the, the big, huge Belgian beer conglomerate was like, oh. well, we don't want, we don't really want this. And then um, I, I remember, I remember hearing from, like fans in Syracuse and and them just being upset. And I felt that they that the Jays actually ruined that affiliation. And, and I mean they suffered for it. They were exiled. They were exiled to Vegas, which for a while seemed like it was the the last the last chair in the musical chairs when everybody dances around and if you don't have a partner, oh dang, we gotta go to Vegas. So um I, I I hope they learned from it. I think they learned from it because from everything I've heard from my friends in Buffalo, you know, they have really loved being affiliated with the Jays and it, and it makes a lot more sense geographically um, and not just for, not just for the major league team, but for the fans, uh, you know, our, our friends in Buffalo, it's way easier for them to get to see the Jays than it is to get out to see the Mets or or the right. Yankees way easier and uh yeah it's it's interesting how when when my some of my friends were when they were affiliated with the Mets they were really upset with the Mets because you know the Mets didn't provide the talent blah 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 but with the Jays and I don't see that I don't see that the Bisons have been that much better like on the field with the Jays but they just seem a whole lot happier 
with that uh, with that affiliation. I don't think it hurt that they got a whole lot of you know financial help and upgrades and and a lot of stuff when the Jays were playing in Buffalo. Sure, too. sure. But you know, like a lot of businesses, it's really about the people, the people you deal with. You know, mm-hmm. you have uh, you have if you're with a good organization and you know it 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 uh, it trickles down. You know, the players in some organizations understand that they have an obligation to the fans. Some organizations don't feel that strongly about that. But if you're lucky enough to be affiliated with a team that makes certain in spring training that they've told their players, you know, this is part of the job and this is part of who you are representing us. So I like that in a team. You know, I think that's really important. I I did take one question from – do you have a follow-up, Dan, or – I didn't have a follow-up. Okay. Ask a question because this has nothing to do with baseball. So. Oh, okay. Well, I I did promise our regular host, Paul, that I would ask this question. He wanted to know if you could find a way to bring back the Pawtucket Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you know, it- when, I, when I talked before about, um, as I'm sure Paul knows, when I talked before about a, a – a, a, a city trying to get funds for a new stadium. It was not for lack of effort and Rhode Island just did not feel like they could come up with that money. And now there's a beautiful, incredible new stadium that is changing Worcester. It's changing Worcester. It's just amazing. Yeah. I think, uh, I think while Paul, you know, truth be told, Paul worked at McCoy stadium for a number of years in concessions. Um, uh, found it hard when it, when it closed uh, its doors officially. Um, but yeah, he, I think he begrudgingly likes, <laughs> likes the situation. Well, not maybe not the situation, but the park in Worcester. Um, he said amazing. he, he's kind of grit his teeth and said good things about it. <laughs> it is an amazing place, but we will forever miss Pawtucket. Honestly, you know, it was uh it was one of our partners for an awfully long time. Well, that's going to roll right into, I don't, I don't know if you can answer this. Um, we spent a, a whole podcast talking about the longest game in baseball history, which was 33 innings strong. And it was between the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings. Uh, Paul knows about it far more kind of firsthand because he was around at that time. Um, I... Old. I read, yeah, <laughs> I read Dan Barry's uh, book. And actually, when I went out to Pawtucket to see a game, um, one of the things that I got to do because I knew Paul is that I got to go underneath and see, you know, some of the underneath stuff. And, and uh, the owner there, Ben Mondor, had a ton of just artifacts. I could have spent the whole game just looking at that stuff. And I don't really know anything about the Red Sox or Pawtucket or anything like that. And one of the things they had was this big, huge, kind of score line from that game yes so i do you have any any memories or or uh you know anything any little tidbits about about that game and and um and its place in in rochester history we'll never forget that game uh you know it was uh it was it was 
unbelievable. You know, who could believe that if you turn the radio on, they were still playing ball in the <laughs> middle of the night. You know, how in the world could it have happened? And, uh, you know, the the general manager of our team was up in the up in the um, press box helping to uh, um, broadcast the game. And, you know, it, there was there's just no way it, it it's hard to imagine it happened. It'll never happen again. You know, they they shored up that rule. So it was obvious and that uh, the umpires wouldn't have questions about it anymore. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, how ironic that after 32 innings, it would only take one more couple of months later. <laughs> to That's finish true. It up. But uh, but just a, an amazing, amazing time. And 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 you can point back to Hall of Famers who were playing in that game. Oh, Wade, gosh. Wade Boggs played for the Red Sox, and Cal Ripken Jr. was playing for the Red Wings. And I mean, it just it has that extra hook to it, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, too bad there weren't more people around to see the later innings. I think the crowd had uh, pretty much dwindled. I remember a story, uh, maybe even the story was in the book. I'm, I don't recall if it was uh, of, you know, one of the players' wives trying to call her husband all night long and, you know, really questioning where he was because she sure wasn't going to believe that he was <laughs> Philip ballpark playing ball. So, you know, just crazy time, a crazy time. Yeah. And for our listeners who haven't read it, uh, of course, Paul put me onto this book. Uh, it's called Bottom of the 33rd. It's by Dan Barry. I read about a third of it, and I texted him, and I said, I thought you were sending me a sports book. This is poetry. It's just it's just that well-written. It just flows, and there are not too many books that I would say I couldn't put it down, especially if it's a nonfiction, right? I could not put this down. It was it was that good. It was that good. That's fantastic. Dan, go ahead. Well, there's uh, two things that I never fail to mention on this podcast. And the number one thing we're not <laughs> even. No, hold on. Take this ride with me, Dave. We're not even going to mention it because uh, we're just we're not going to mention it. But uh, it occurred to me as I was reading and listening along and, and participating in this that one of my favorite hockey memories happened. Uh, I'm going to call it Frontier Field. Uh, <laughs> Frontier. Uh, I think it was back in 2013. I remember this because uh, the Americans and the monsters wore – well, the Americans wore their old um, Americans like – vintage looking uh like 30s 40s jerseys and cleveland kind of in response wore something they might have worn back in those days but it was the frozen frontier it happened at this ballpark and again it occurred to me as we were doing this interview like oh my god i remember that very well because it was a frozen tundra it was real snow falling and I, it was a multi-day event, but the main AHL game was outdoor at this baseball field. That whole grandstand full. What are your memories of a putting that uh, uh, of a it getting put together and that game itself and your involvement in that? 
Were you were you here for that game? I was not there. I was watching it. I I I I had been at two outdoor games at that point, and my wife, my now wife, and I did discuss like for a second because she'd been to Rochester before for um Americans games. We're both big occupants about going up there for for five minutes. I'm like, you can go. I've this. Uh, I'm not ready to be that cold. I like the cold, but I'm no, I'm good. Uh, and then, of course, watching, I'm like, crap, we should have gone. That looks amazing. It was 18 degrees oh, at Jesus game God. time that night. And I'll tell you, that that was tough, but people wanted to be there. So uh, under what circumstances would, would anybody go to a game like that in that weather except the experience? You just wanted to be there for the experience of it. And I'll tell you, it was, um, you know, I didn't participate in the preparation for that or the execution, but my staff did, and it was tough on them. So I don't think we'll be doing that again anytime soon. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, it was something. People, it was something. You know, it was just uh, one of those memories that you'll you always have uh but you know and of course the entire infield had to be replaced after the game which we knew what i was wondering Uh uh-huh so Mm -hmm. that uh it was it was very interesting they played kids teams played there all night long during that week when there was uh with the with the rink on the field uh you know you got time slots and and I should say kids teams play there, but also adult hockey leagues played there as well. You know, everybody wanted a chance to be out there just for the uniqueness of, uh, of the experience. So very cool, but yeah. Yeah. I missed your chance. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I would have paid any amount of money to get a pair of skates and skate out there. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? That's, that's me. Because uh, you know uh-huh. the Philly, being the Philly guy, it, it's a different experience. Because I was at the AHL outdoor game at Citizens Bank Park, but that's in a major league. It almost—I don't know how to explain. I've been to the one at Hershey Park Stadium. Uh, that's where I was the coldest, and I think it was probably around the same temperature. If mm-hmm. it, I won't say it was colder, but uh, at that point, when I can't feel my hands, who cares? Um, and that's because somebody forgot their gloves in the car. Um, but I, I want to say that being where it is as far North as that is, and it being a smaller plate, cause it was like 10, 11,000 people at a minor league stadium with history that is rivaled by not many, no one really, um, playing outdoor in that free... I just the I just it's all coming back to me watching that and um you know I was paying attention because it's the uh, Sabres affiliate uh, yeah. just watching all the YouTube videos and all that stuff and it was all coming back to me just it, it almost kind of meant a little more being it was a little smaller so you were all closer instead of this big major league field right and it and and it snowed the snow like that's what drove home like they're freezing. That's that's so cold. <laughs> and pushing the snow off the ice. Oh my goodness, there was something else. Oh no, thank you. It's coming down. 
Yeah. We'll never do that again. Well, there you hear it here, folks. That's not happening again. Okay. <laughs> well, I I mean, I could go on forever and ever. Uh, I could go on for like three, four hours, yeah. but I won't. I won't do that to our guests. But I do have I do have one kind of wrap up question uh, before before we wrap the whole thing up and put a bow on it for the night. Um, what is what is the best part uh, of your job uh, with the Red Wings? Uh, being with the fans, you know, it just, uh, there's nothing like it. And, um, you know, being able to provide this for fans and really, honestly, bringing joy to people there's there you know i i feel very lucky to be able to do that it's just a um it's a little bit of magic 75 times a year a little bit of magic and um you know that's i think anybody that does what i do our staff included uh has to has to feel that way cuz it's not always easy you know, but it's, it's so, it's so worth it. And uh, it, and it's only worth it because it means something to people. If it didn't, it would be a, it would take a lot more to motivate us to do what we do. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, um, I, I understand what you're getting at with magic, with the idea of magic, but I always think that magic just sounds way too easy. And I know that it's not easy there's way too many hours and way too many challenges and way too much stuff in the background to 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 make it sound so simple (laughs) well it's fun it's a lot awesome that's awesome well i gotta say uh it has been just a pleasure to have you on the red wings always well maybe not always because you know, not always, but I, like I said, I've been, I've been 12 times. Um, it's become an annual trip for me. The Red Wings do hold uh, a bit of a special place in my heart. I do have my uh, souvenir from the last game that I went to. They were handing out little bumper stickers. So it's just over on my left there. It's, that's a go permanent me. part of the set. Uh, right. But before we let you go, uh, is there anything that you wanted to, uh, you know, share your social media so that fans can connect or follow what's going on or anything like that. No, you know, I'm not very good at that. Uh, yes. Go to our, our website, www.redwingsbaseball.com and uh, pick up our social media um, links from there. It we have a pretty good uh, social media team at the Red Wings. So kind of entertaining, kind of fun. You know, it's the off season. We have to drum up some fun. <laughs> <laughs> drum up some fun. Well, with that, I think we'll I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, Dan, since Thank you're the you. only other one here, where can everyone follow you? Dan Law eighty three. Uh, the uh, the schooling you could follow him at uh, Ballpark Hunter, the schooling supervisor, the PA guy. You could follow him at Puckman RI. And me, you can follow me at Profan9. 
usually we talk about where we're going next. I mean, I've, I'm actually heading out to Paul Bakerland. I'm going to Yukon real soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, well, hey. And uh, we've got OUA playoffs in football coming up right now. So anyway, check out the website for all of that. Check out all of our, our uh, social media. And um, we'll be back in the future. I don't even know when we're going to be back. I think we're scheduled to be back on Tuesday. But we'll see. We'll see. We're having some scheduling issues with those difficult people who weren't here today. So uh, we'll we'll get that all figured. Uh, for Dan and for Paul and Mark, thanks so much, Naomi. Thanks, Dave. Have some safe stadium journeys out there, and we'll see you next time. See you in Rochester.